Welcome to this week's edition of Dugout Dish Podcast. I'm Andy Kirikides, joined by my lovely co-host, Keith Glasser. How we doing? Great, how are you? We've got a special guest on today. You guys have some ties going back a while, and uh, I'm going to kick it over to you for the intro here. Excited excited for this one. Yeah. Um, tonight, we're, we're joined by a former um, and fellow 518 guy, upstate New York, uh, through and through, the two of us. Um, he did play at LaSalle High School growing up. I, I did a little bit of recruiting on him um, when I was coaching at Siena, but I, I was fortunate enough to see um, a, a pretty uh, a pretty good chunk of, um, if not all of him, um, growing up in high school and playing with the South Troy Dodgers and um, eventually moving on to Central Connecticut State. Um, his name's all over the record book at Central. I uh, finished fifth in ABs, fifth in hits. Eighth in RBIs, fourth in doubles, third in triples, fifth in total bases, sixth in stolen bases. Um, two-time uh, Northeast Conference first team selection, two-time second team selection. Uh, chosen in the 17th round, or excuse me, 27th round, the 24, uh, 2014 MLB draft by the A's. Uh, got up to AAA, three-time uh, all-star in the minor leagues. Uh, but tonight I'm happy um, to be joined tonight by fellow South Troy Dodger, a phenomenal human being and owner of JP3 Baseball at Arizona, JP Sportman. JP, welcome. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, fired up. Um, if you could, just before we get going here, just give the, our listeners just a little rundown of, um, you know, your path, you know, where you where you are now, how you got there and. You know, then we'll kind of get into some questions and we're going to nerd out on hitting and, and talk about development and stuff like that. Let's do it. Yeah. I, um, you know, I started JP3 baseball back in 2019, uh, officially not till about 2020, right before COVID, but I ended up getting injured my final year, 2019. I was in Indy ball and I pretty much just, you know, packed up and moved to AZ and, and got going with, uh, with the player development stuff. I think a lot of what, I loved about the game and what kind of kept me around so long was I was a cage rat. I was a, I loved the things behind the scenes. I loved, you know, the long days and hours that you put in that people don't necessarily see. And that was always kind of, you know, the, the way I wanted to get back into the game. Um, so yeah, I started JP three and I, I had a couple of buddies who, you know, I had played with in the past and, you know, they had happened to tell me, you know, I was pretty good at what I was doing and, and that I should do something with it. So I, you know, ended up creating a brand. And uh, I think I think it was shortly after, you know, the first couple months I was doing it, you know, push performance out of Colorado was opening up a place in Arizona and they found me and kind of gave me a home to kind of start building something. And uh, yeah, the rest is history from there. Um, kind of just been building off of that um, and, you know, creating an atmosphere for guys to come and get better. Awesome. Um, one thing I, I just kind of want to go back to briefly before we kind of get into the development side of stuff, like, because we do talk recruiting and, and some other stuff on here. Um, if you could, and, and I don't necessarily know the, the entire story, but how, like, what was your recruitment like? Because I think the one thing that you know, we talk about, and it's obviously gotten a little bit harder from, you know, when we played and, and when you played, like the, the 27th round doesn't exist anymore. Um, you know, it's awesome that you you had the career that you had, but, you know, from a 
you know, I, I know watching you play that I knew you were going to be a really good baseball player. You played the game the right way. You played it hard. Um, like you were a kid that I, I really liked. I enjoyed watching play when I was recruiting. Um, you know, but how many, like how many offers did you have? What, like, what was your recruiting process a little bit like? Cause I, I think that it's, it's worth diving into for a couple of minutes for people to realize like, you know, not necessarily like a draft guy out of high school and out of college, like you were a phenomenal player, got drafted and made it to where you did. Um, but it's, it's not just the talent side. It's the amount of time, energy, and effort you put in off the field and doing those things to get to where you were. For sure. Yeah. The recruiting process was pretty tough for me, honestly, out of high school, I was pretty undersized. I could always, I could always swing it a little bit, but I think, um, you know, I was a little bit of a late bloomer compared to a lot of the guys that were on my, you know, Sal Troy team or my LaSalle team. You know, I really didn't blossom until I was like a senior when I started to kind of really put the tools together. Um, but with that being said, like it always kind of drove the fire for me. You know, I, I always felt like I was kind of the back burner when it came to the recruiting process. I think, you know, at the, right before I had committed to central, I think I maybe had two or three offers division one wise. I had a couple of like, you know, like random schools all over the place. I think I remember it was like SCAD. It was like Savannah college of arts and design or something. And my dad, my dad wanted me to go out and check it out. And I was like, dad, I'm not going to this place, dude. Like I was so set in stone, like being surrounded by like everybody that was on that cell Troy team that I was, you know, on the year, my first year there, on um, the 18, when I was a junior and then going into my senior year, you know, that was just, it was like division one or nothing. You know what I mean? Like it didn't want to be like that dude that, you, and not saying that this is a bad thing by any means, but like it always drove me to like continue to just keep pushing. Um, and then I kind of blossomed my senior year. I think, you know, not being heavily recruited, like really created that work ethic for me. Um, and yeah, I think I think I ended up having Central, um, Bryant, which turned out to be a pretty good program. That would have been dope to go to too. They beat the shit out of us all the time when I was at Central. And then, uh, I can't remember the other one. Uh, so long ago, I haven't even thought of that. Um, I think maybe you Albany swooped in there late, uh, mm -hmm. but yeah. And then you know, getting to Centro was kind of just like another another stepping stone to where like you know I was at a smaller school than you know I, I obviously would have wanted to go to being on a team with you know Cogs who went to Virginia. You know, all the guys that went to big schools, St. John's, um, you know, Roseboom, I guess USC Upstate's a, a mid-major, but Will and Zach going to Coastal and stuff, you know, I think being surrounded by them all the time created, you know, that drive to to want to, you know, get to that position. Um, and then getting to Centro was just another stepping stone, like I said, that, you know, I'm at a mid-major, I'm at a small school, like now I need to really prove myself. Like I always you know, it was, it was go to pro ball or bust. Like I didn't have another plan. I didn't, you know, have a, a mentality of what I'm going to do after school. Like school wasn't for me. Like I went, I went to, you know, central to be a baseball player. And, um, but yeah, um, the recruiting process was a little, was a little tough for me going through, you know, high school and everything, but yeah. No, I think, I think it's important because there's, we talk about it quite a bit with, on this podcast but also with families that we work with too like 
not necessarily the 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 D one and bus mentality, but also the fact of like one, there's really good baseball being played at all levels. I don't know how good SCAT is. I know that Savannah's an awesome city and you probably would have had a, the time of your life in that city, but I, I don't know how much baseball you've been playing. Um, but that said, um, it, like it, it is a, it is a weird sport that guys develop at such a different rate in baseball than they do in, in football or, or hoops, right? Like they the amount of guys that, that I've coached or, or played with, um, and seen like that end up playing pro ball and, and playing extra, like, you know, I had a guy, I have a guy who's still playing in the, my, the Marlin system at RPI. Like if you told me that he was going to be a, a, a guy who, who signed and played for three or four years when he was a freshman, like no shot. Um, you know, but he, he developed, he got physically bigger. He got stronger. He got, you know, he had, he always had bat speed and he was a lot like you, just a cage rat, like, you know, and he was able to develop himself into a player that was able to do it, you know, and I think that that's, you know, in baseball specifically, you know, you can, you could eventually find yourself in pro ball at the division one level and in pro ball, like just by being able like continually working hard at things. Like, obviously there's a level of talent that you have to have in order to do it. But, you know, if you're actually able to, to put your head down and work, like that's, you, you, they'll find you. Like there, there's, a, there's enough spots out there where people will be like, all right, this dude, we're going to take a chance on him, you know? And like, we, had, we actually had Billy Salento on, who's the hitting coach at um, Wake Forest. And he was talking about Rhett Louder. Like they weren't, they recruited him. He's like, I saw him nine times and he was like 84 to 86. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. And finally his coach was like, dude, he's won 23 of the 24 games he started. Like, don't you want somebody who wins? And they were like, okay, sure. Like he wanted to go to Wake Forest, they took him. And he's like, and then fast forward, like that dude just worked his tail off and is two-time ACC pitcher of the year. Like, you know, it, it, it's stuff like that. And when you, I think when you can shine light on some of those stories, like it, it can tell people like, hey man, like it, you can still do it. Like obviously there's, again, there's a level of talent you have to have, but you know, if you're not necessarily, you know, just because you don't have a roster spot right now, doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to have one come during your senior year because there's they're out there you know and there are a lot of schools and I, I in the time I was around like I know Central's a little like they kind of wait a little bit longer to to find the diamonds in the rough because they are a, a little bit of a smaller mid-major and I went through today my I was 0-2 in my career against uh Central so you know maybe Brian beat you guys up but you guys beat us up when we played them so 0-2 Andy how about that yeah, I had one of my worst moments on the field against Central. So, <laughs> kid hit a knuckleball. I was playing short, and a kid hit a just a freaking taser beam knuckleball uh, arm side, like full extension, and it just freaking healed me. And it was the bases loaded. It healed me. I picked the ball up and didn't get the guy out at first base. And I'm pretty sure that's how the game ended. So, yeah, yeah. not a not a great memory of Central Connecticut on my end, but. You know, you live, you learn. Uh, try to catch it in your webbing if uh, you're, you're listening. But so, all right, you go from lightly recruited to central to pro ball. What's that transition like for you when you got to college? And what are some of the things that you did as a part of your routine that allowed you to really flourish? Because I think that's another big piece for kids to hear is, it's a big step up no matter where you go to play college baseball. And I'd be curious to hear 
things that you did well that allowed you to be successful and like some of the stuff that you had to kind of figure out? I think, um, you know, going in, you know, I, I always had a chip on my shoulder. I always, you know, I was there and I meant business. And right when I stepped foot on campus, you know, I, I wanted to play right away. Um, and I knew that going to central, that was going to be, you know, attainable if I, if I continue to put the work in and continue to what I was doing, kind of the way that I was progressing as a player. Um, and I think, you know, getting to central was, it was a, it was a little bit of a, a learning experience for me because, you know, going through the first fall, I was small. Like I was, you know, probably 150 pounds, you know, and I started to notice, you know, I was aware, I was watching, you know, all the guys that were having success there, like what they looked like, like what, like how they had their bodies put together, like the stuff that they were doing on the field. You know, I, I took notice to everything. I was always a student of the game. I think that's the biggest thing is I was always, you know, watching and like finding out what the best players are doing. Like why, you know, why are they having success? How can I learn from them? How can I, you know, take what they're doing or something from their game? And I think that was the biggest thing was right when I got in there, I knew like I could always hit, I could always do those things, I, but I needed to get bigger if I wanted to play, you know, 60 games and, and play every day. Uh, so I think, you know, a lot, I had success that fall and I put myself in a position to play. And I remember, you know, right as the fall ended, you know, this was back when, you know, we were running like it was, we were a cross country team. I don't think they do that anymore, but it was hard for me to keep weight on. But I think, you know, when I came home for the winter and stuff, this is when I really dove into the weights. Like I was, I was lifting twice a day. I wanted to be as big as I possibly could. Um, and I, I started to put myself in a position where I was looking the part and I was able to, you know, put myself in a position to, you know, be successful my first year because I was I was filled out. I was ready to, you know, do things, uh, you know, have the stamina to play, you know, 60 games every day, um, which I think, you know, I, I was pretty close to doing. Um, I can't remember back, but I think that was the transition of, you know, each year I was just getting better and better at that. Like I had, you know not consciously i'll talk like probably shed light on this later but like you know i always had a routine like i was always doing the the same stuff always over and over again and um you know obviously outside of all the work i put in in the cage and stuff in the gym you know i was I, the fire was fueled because every year that i was having a good year it was still you know not good enough you know and going to you know summer ball in the summer and you know i think after my you know i had a really bad summer actually I think thinking back to that, my first, my freshman summer first, I think I went to Oneana outlaws and I just like, I was the small school kid, didn't get a lot of burn and was kind of just like buried behind a lot of high, you know, um, program guys. And that kind of just put me like mentally on another level where I was just, now it was like, okay, I'm turning the dial up even more. And I came back my sophomore year. Um, I, I, buried myself in the weight room, just doing the things that, you know, needed to be done to put myself in a position to just continue to get better. Um, and I think that summer or that season, I ended up having, I think my best college year and I was going to the Cape and they pulled my contract, like right at, right before the Cape season started. And I ended up going to Keene, New Hampshire and having, you know, a good summer. And it was just like, no matter what I did, you know, it was just like, oh, you know, he's got to do a little bit more. He's got to do a little bit more. So it just kept feeding the fire for me and and being able to understand, you know, that I got to keep 
pounding the pavement and and continue to keep working and doing the little things. Um, and I started to learn and do things in the game that, you know, I think which made me a good pro, you know, level player was I was able to understand, you know, the good things that I did as a player and, and how, you know, I was able to, you know, be a good base runner. I was doing the little things that, you know, a lot of pro scouts see or watch that, you know, normally that if nobody's telling you that, it, you kind of lose sight of the little things that matter. And I started paying attention a lot to, you know, the, the way I'm running the bases, I started stealing bags. I started doing, you know, I played the game super hard and I started doing, you know, taking the extra bases, understanding, you know, the little things that come with, you know, being a professional. And, you know, I think over time, you know, I was just learning and, and adding to my, um, to my arsenal, I guess, as, as I got older and, um, you know, going into my, you know, junior year, senior year, I was, you know, filling out more, I was getting bigger. And, um, I think, you know, understanding how to put myself in a position to just continue to get better day in and day out. And not really, once I got to my junior, senior year, I tried to block out the noise and just continue to day in and day out, do the things that I know are going to make me successful. And I thought, you know, ultimately in the end, if I continue to stack days and stack, you know, consistent actions, I was going to put myself in a position to be successful. Um, and I think that's really when I turned the, the corner as a player, you know, I stopped worrying about the stuff that I couldn't control. And I started to worry about the things that, you know, I knew that if I did this day in and day out, I was going to put myself in the best position to, you know, ultimately get to the position I'm in, which carries over to pro ball. I think, you know, once I started to learn that I was able to jump through, you know, the minor leagues very quickly because I understood that I, I wasn't paying attention to the things that were like, oh, why am I not getting called up right now? Why am I not doing this? Why is this not happening to me? It was more I approached each day with a plan and I executed the plan. I knew that I could go home and be like, all right, like I'm doing everything I need to do to be successful and to put myself in a position to keep going. And I think that's what kind of benefited me. And I, I started to flourish when I got opportunities because I was ready. You know, I had, you know, I had a plan and I understood what I was trying to do. And when those, you know, opportunities came knocking, it wasn't, you know, trying to, you know, figure things out. It was like, okay, like this is what I've been preparing preparing for. Now I'm just going to go out and execute it. Um, so I think like that that's a long storyline right there of the three years, but being able to to mentally how you tap into the mental approach of the game is huge. Um, and obviously all the other stuff that comes with it. But I think that's kind of like a, a glimpse of, you know, the trajectory of where I got to and how I was able to do the things that I did was, you know, obviously growing and that all comes with maturity, but having an awareness of what, you know, I was trying to do. Yeah, we we try to impress upon that with kids that we work with and just conversations that we have with with younger kids is it happens for everybody at a different pace. But if you and I like I like to use this term and I'm glad you use it too. It's like can you how many how many high quality days can you stack back mm -hmm. to back to back and understanding that you're not going to get the result tomorrow or next week or the next month. But if you do that for six months, you pop out the other side of it and you put yourself in a position for high school kids to be recruitable, for a college kid to get on the field every day. The next step is you become an all-conference guy. And then the next step is maybe you get a chance to go play pro ball. And to your point, like you were prepared for all the hard part of being a pro guy. Like it's not all flash. Like guys like you who show up every day with a plan and you know, we always joke about the word grind, but at that level, it is a grind. Like, can you show up every day and do the stuff? 
that is required of you that you have established as something that makes you successful. So now I think it's, it's a great lesson. It's a great thing for people to hear, especially young kids who are going through it now. Like if you're the 15 year old who weighs 150 pounds, like don't worry about it. Just get after it. You know, you can make excuses or you can go take action and close the gap on your competition and do the things that other, a lot of other kids just aren't really willing to do. I agree. Fellows yeah, want that here, by the way. Oh, hell yeah. I love yeah. that. Yeah. It's I, I, it's like, great, dude, great place to play summer ball. Oh, my God, dude. Great place to be a hitter, too, huh? God, <laughs> if, if I could only have hit the ball the right field, that would have been great. <laughs> hit it up on that little shed. Dude, those are the two best best years of my life playing baseball. Uh, I have nothing but amazing things to say about that place. Like, Was I Brian Watterson still a GM? Yeah. 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 Yeah, he's yeah. a good dude. Yeah, yeah. You know, he treated me. They, I had a blast up there. Great place to play summer ball. Oh my god, amazing! I think your second year, I was at, I was at Saratoga. I think Bryce Nugent was the coach there, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He was the, he was the, I think he was the pitching guy, right? He might, yeah, he might have been. Yeah. He was, the, he played, he caught at Marist with, uh, with me, and then I, did you coach him, Andy? Yeah, I had, I, my job was to make sure that him and Richie Carullo. Uh, stayed on course because they both redshirted as freshmen. <laughs> he was good, man. He had a really, really very good. Yeah, yeah, dude. That was that brings back some serious memories. That place. We were loaded both of my years too. Like we're amazing. Kevin yeah, stacked rosters. Oh yeah, stacked rosters. We had like my first year. I think we had like three big leaguers on the team, or four, and we were like number one in the. In the whole summer, over every Cape team, we were we were absolutely loaded. Yeah, they were good. That was awesome. a good team. The um, I thought you touched on like eight thousand things there that are are super important, you know. And I, the one thing too, and I, I'd be curious to just hear what your thoughts are on it. Like, I know that because you were lightly recruited, you end up at Central and you have a phenomenal career. And I know Pat Hall is really good at his job, and so is Coach Hickey. Like they've had, he's had a, a lot of success there, you know. But what, like, because we've talked about this before. Like sometimes there's there's something to be said for guys, and and I think, and I don't want you to take this as a slight. I don't mean it this way. Like I think there's something to be said for guys like you who can play for four years when they step on campus. And obviously, like we talk about the things that you just talked about all the time like being able to get on campus and like legitimately watch all the older guys and see what the guys who are having success do. What do they look like? Like, how do you go about that? And, you know, but, you know, do you think that you would have, like, say you go to a, a bigger or bigger school, like, do you think you end up in the same spot or do you think because you were able to play for four years and almost every single game and, and have be able to find all that success in game, do you think you end up in the same spot? You know what I mean? Like, is that like we kind of talk about it? Like, sometimes like you might be better off going to a place from a recruiting standpoint where like you you legitimately have an opportunity to play the second you step foot on campus versus going and being like, yeah, you might not play until you're a junior because they got a draft guy in front of you and that dude's going to play for the next two years. You know, and you know what? Like, I guess my question would be like, like what is like? Do you think that that benefited you? In the, like from a, a an overall standpoint, being able to go somewhere where you played right away, I think one hundred percent for me specifically. Um, 
because that's what I needed. Like I needed an avenue where I was going to flourish and like put in a position where I didn't have to worry about, you know, somebody behind me or is somebody, you know, ahead of me for the next two years. Um, I think being able to go out there and just like trial and error and, and throw me into the fire and I'm going to figure it out. Um, and yeah, I, it's such a tough thing because I battled it for when I, even when I was at central was like, you know, after having two good years, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. There was times where I was like, okay, do I go where a year somewhere? And, you know, I, I ended up having a real good summer in Keen and people were knocking on the door. And I was like, do I, do I go where a year and go play at a big school and give myself an opportunity to go to pro ball? And to be honest with you, dude, I'm so glad I didn't looking back at it, you know, because, you know, I was in a position where, you know, I was the guy and that was, you know, a place I, I was comfortable in. And I, I knew what I needed to do and, you know, going and, and, playing at a major big school with the, you know, the atmospheres and everything would have been dope, but I don't think I would have been, you know, able to develop into the player I was if I wasn't in the position I was in. And and Coach Hick and Hall did a great job of, you know, kind of navigating me and teaching me how to be a pro before I even was one, you know, and I say this all the time to people, you know, Hick, gets a it gets a rap that he's tough you know and he's and he's he's hard on you and he's and he does you know things his own way but you know i was fortunate to understand that you know he was grooming me to be ready to play at the next level he was teaching me things that you know i went to pro ball and learned and i i was like damn like he was teaching me this stuff beforehand you know and i'm super grateful for them because you know they they were always putting me in a position to be successful. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't trade that experience that I had for anything. I think if I went back, I would, I would probably do it all over again, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, think, I think it's important because there's, there's a difference, I think. And I think for, you know, guys like you and I, and I know Andy kind of had this experience too. Like we kind of grew up in an era where, you're like, you got coached and, you know, I know who coached you. Like, you know, who coached me, like you got told the absolute truth, whether you wanted to hear it or not. Um, and and it, I think for, at least for me personally in my career, like it, it helped me because especially in high school, like when I got to college and you know, you're going to get yelled at, like it is what it is. It happens in college. Like there's, there's a lot more on the line. And you're like, I was able to handle it. And I think it, you know, I, I think it's hard sometimes for people to understand like the mental toughness it takes to play this game and to play this game at a high level, you know, regardless of, you know, whatever your level is, right? Like whether it's division three, whether it's two, one pro ball, whatever, like you have to be mentally tough to be able to succeed in this game. And I think sometimes like you have, like at an early age, you have to be told the truth. And I don't like when it comes from a place of like they're trying to help you, it helps you in the in the long run because eventually you're going to run, run into something where like, damn, they were right. Like that's and I, and you could handle it. You know, like I one of my favorite stories. I don't I've never told this on this podcast, but you'll appreciate this, JP. I was it was my 18 year old year. We're playing um, in the regional for the double ABC. And I was, I was horrific for the last like two weeks. I, I couldn't hit water if I fell out of a boat. 
And like, I was protected. I mean, I had John Nicola who played at Duke, Joe Mahoney who played in the big leagues, hit in front of me. I couldn't hit water if I fell out of a boat. We get into the first game. And I walk into the dugout and George is like, you're going to hit eighth today. And I was like, okay. I usually hit fifth. He was like, do you know why? And I was like, no. He's like, do you want to know why? And I was like, no, but I know this is coming. He's like, because that's where shitty hitters hit. And right now you're awful. So you're going to hit in the eight hole. And I was like, okay. So now my point is like, I could have went out and, you know, went over four with four punches. I went out and went three for four and hit a walk-off bolt. And the following day I found myself back in the five hole and, you know, I had a really good tournament. We ended up going to New Mexico and, you know, I hit a home run out in New Mexico and like had a, had a pretty good tournament. Like, but I, you know, my point is like, George was George was tough, and every year you go through, like George got softer. But George Rogers is a, is a legend from a college or from a, a, a coaching standpoint. Like it wasn't from a place of I'm just going to belittle him and make him feel like crap. It's like, hey, you need to hear this right now because no one else is telling you that you're you've been bad for two or three weeks. Like you've been bad. This is where you're going to go hit, and it's fine. Like just go hit. And, you know, I, I was, I was able to, you know, turn it around. Like I said, I had a pretty good tournament, but like, that was, that was a true thing that happened. You know, I mean, I played on a team with, there was like nine division one commits on that team. And I, I was, I was bad. Like it, it was what it was, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, when you, when you're coached by guys like that and, and it's going to happen when you get to college, because there's a lot more on the line, like those guys are coaching for their jobs. Like, they're going to tell you things that you might not necessarily like to hear, but it's, it's never something that is in my personal opinion, it, it's the vast majority of the time. It's not something to belittle you. It's something for you to either light a fire or because I think when, when, when you get to know kids and you're coaching them, you know, and I think this, you know, you probably deal with this the same way with, you know, when you're working with guys in the cage, like, you know, things that you can say to guys that are going to get them going. And, you know, some guys you might have to hold their hand and be like, Hey, it's okay. You have to do this. Other guys may be like, yo, what was that? Like, that was a horrific swing. What are we doing here? You know, and, and you can, you know, those people that I, I always felt like those kids that you can kind of get on are the kids that, you know, they can handle a little bit more. And, you know, when, when you're talking about stacking really good days and knowing what it is that you have to do in order to get to the next level, like, I think those are the things that are, are invaluable and in being able to learn, like, you know, no one's really out to get you. They're out to tell you the truth and and really try to get the most out of you from a coaching standpoint. Yeah, I think touching off of that, just understanding that majority of the time, you know, especially when you're young and you're not mature and you're trying to like figure everything out, you think that it's coming from a negative place when majority of the time, you know, it's something that's just going to benefit you as a player to put you in a position to have success or be in a position to where like you're going to, you're going to, if you're in a college setting, high school setting, you know, they're just doing it to, you know, they want you to be successful. You know, they put you in a position to where you're going to have, you know, an opportunity to play more or, or get more at bounce or do, or whatever it may be. But yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that, on that end too. I've had my fair share of, of moments with Kev, um, George's son, who is a little, who's a little nuts. Um, we have, we have some good stories, but I mean, I think, you know, things like that, like the way Kev handled me, I think, you know, ultimately get put me in a position, you know, when he started doing it was when I was committed to central because he knew what I was walking into. So he was preparing me for what I was going to see, you know, the following year, you know, and I think that that's very important when it comes to development too, is like, 
understanding, you know, the player and, and, you know, what's ahead and preparing them and putting them in a position to, to handle things like that. Um, so I couldn't agree with you more on all of that. All right. So let, let's, let's get into some hidden talk here because you're really good at what you do. Uh, I've been following you. Um, I think my philosophy with hitters in terms of what I tried to get across to my guys, I think is may not be quite as technical as some of the stuff that, that, that you teach, but it doesn't come across to me that you're a cookie cutter guy and that you're really trying to get guys to perform well with the way that they move and what they're capable of doing. And I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about some of like kind of your core philosophies. And now I know you work with a wide range of players. Like you got big name, big leaguers who come and work with you, which I'm sure we'll touch on a little bit, but you also got a youth section. And I'd love to hear you talk about just some of the core principles of what you try to get to your guys. And then some of the stuff you do to help them along that development path, which is really an important piece of the puzzle for a lot of high school kids. Yeah, I think um, so biggest, you know, first thing right out the gate that I teach, I don't care, you know, what level you're at big leagues. If you're coming, like the idea is to have a plan, you know, every, every single day you step foot in the cage, it's a plan. Like we're not, I think that's, that's a hard, you know, thing for guys to comprehend, which is a very simple concept, but like, when you come into the cage, there needs to be a plan and, and you need to understand how to execute it. You know, I think a lot of the, when it comes to the, to the youth development, a lot of the guys come in and they're just expecting to, you know, take, you know, 150 swings and they got their swings in and they're, they're good for the day. I think I try to turn the dial to the point where it's, I want quality over quantity. I want, you know, understanding, you know, when we walk in the cage, we have a plan um, and we're going to execute that. And then, you know, tapping off of that, I, guys having routines, understanding, you know, what it is that works for them. You know, I am, I, I'm glad that you kind of touched on the cookie cutter thing. I'm so far from that. And I, I try to be because I have an understanding that, you know, every guy doesn't move the same way. Every guy doesn't swing the same way, you know, and I have, you know, I watched so much video that, you know, the swing that you take now, you know, is kind of what you see when you were a kid too. You know, you have certain moves and things that you're going to always do and being able to understand, you know, how to build a routine for a guy. I think uh, it's a lot different when it, when it's a, you know, major league minor league guy versus the youth development. But I think, you know, putting the youth guy in a position, you know, early to understand, like every day we walk in here, you know, whatever we're doing drill wise, whatever we're doing, you know, machine wise or BP wise, like we have a plan. We're trying to execute something every day, you know, and like I'm very, very fundamentally sound when it comes to the youth. Um, I think the game is kind of, you know, teetered to a position where like you far, fall so down, far down the rabbit hole with the analytics that we kind of lost, you know, you know, the, the ability to do fundamental things like, you know, hit the ball on the ground the other way, hit a line driving the gaps, do the little things that create, you know, good hitters. I think that we've, you know, been put in a position where, you know, we've, we've created a lot of bad habits with some of the things that are starting to, you know, be or evaluated. And my job as a hitting coach is to, to teach these guys how to be good hitters, how to have barrel consistency, how to hit the ball hard consistently, how to do the little things. Um, so 
those are the two big principles, you know, having a plan, creating a routine, right? And then once we can get to a position where like I'm comfortable with guys, you know, really honing in on that and understanding that is when I start to kind of dive into like the more, you know, advanced stuff that, you know, I try to teach guys and, you know, whether it's, you know, posture, you know, doing angle work, you know, things that, you know, are a little bit more detailed than, you know, these are the things that I I kind of learned as I got older versus when I was younger, I didn't really have much of that. But, and then also one of the biggest, you know, pillars for JP3 is, you know, it's not all about me, right? I know like it's my brand. It's, it's, you know, people come to me, but, you know, I've always emphasized the culture. Like when you walk in the door, you know, there might be a day where you're, you're walking in and, you know, Garrett Stubbs is in there hitting and, you know, a youth guy walks in, you know, my guys don't shy away from having conversations with the youth guys, right? So I urge all my youth guys to have conversations with these guys, pick their brains, ask them what they try to do, what's their day like, or even just watch on days that they're hitting and they don't get to have a conversation with them. You know, I think creating an atmosphere where it's less about me and it's more about the development and the culture and how we create an atmosphere where everybody's trying to get better. Um, I think that that goes a long way. And that's always kind of how I tried to build the brand and, and understand that, like, yeah, I have my stuff that, you know, I, I believe in and that, you know, I think all hitters need to do and, and need to have in their arsenal. But there also is the aspect of like, you know, if you, I have a day where, you know, Matt Chapman's in there, you know, Bradley Zimmer, Tyler Wade, or, you know, Alex Bregman, they're all having conversations with each other. These are guys that are doing it at the highest level of baseball. Right. And these guys aren't, you know, diving down a mechanical rabbit hole every swing they take. They're taking, you know, 40 to 50 swings a day and they're executing all 40 and 50. And they're, and it's not, you know, line drive or it's not homers. And it's, it's, it's very detailed oriented work that they're trying to translate when the game happens, you know, and even those guys are sitting in there having conversations with each other. You know, it's not just, you know, sit there and think that JP is going to, you know, mold my whole off season. It's, it's a conversation to be had with everybody that, you know, we are having like, cause it could be like one, one day, you know, somebody says something and, it registers for another guy who's listening from afar, right? Those are things that, you know, hitters, you know, enjoy having because it's like, damn, that really clicked for me. Like he said it a different way of a way of like verbiage, like we were talking about before that might, you know, register with a guy. So understanding that the the cookie cutter and the, the one size fits all isn't something that I've ever really dove into. Yeah. I love that. It, it's just, Guys have different strengths, they have different abilities, and and I I just think it's I think it's really egotistical to think that you can just have everybody swing the same and it's going to work for everybody, right? Like obviously there's core principles, and I'm sure there's certain drills that you that you go to to correct a certain flaw or something that you might build a kid's plan around. That like, hey, this is something I think you need to do as a part of your lead up work. But you know, at the end of the day, like everybody moves different and it would just be, you can actually zap. I think you can, I think you can do worse for a kid by trying to fit them into a mold because you take, you can take away from what they do well. And I think that's the worst thing that coaches can do is just rush to make an adjustment with a kid without getting an understanding of what they do well first. And yeah, I experienced that as a coach, my first year at William and Mary, when I walked into a lineup that ended up having six pro guys in it, 
And the best thing I ever did as a coach was not coach some of those guys early on because who the hell am I to come in and try to make an adjustment with a guy who hit 340 with 10 bolts a year before? Like maybe I should just watch him a little bit. Maybe I should wait for him to come to me. Um, and I think a lot of hitting guys, they rush to to put their stamp on a kid as opposed to let me get to know how this kid moves. Let me get to know how he operates. How does he think? What what verbiage is he using? Does he understand his swing enough? And how does he think about his swing? And guys like you are the the guys that kids need to be going to because you're not just going to sit there and be like, we're going to do it this way. And yeah, it's refreshing. And you're absolutely 100% one of the good guys. So I think, you know, piggybacking off of what you said, you know, understanding the verbiage and, you know, sometimes, you know, not coaching and not saying anything goes a long way. You know, um, I emphasize that all the time with some of the younger guys that normally when nothing is being said that that's a time where like, you're, you're really doing things the right way. Like continue down this path. You're going to start stacking days and you're going to start stacking swings and start stacking. You know, that's, those are the times where, you know, we want guys to, you know, understand and see what's going on, you know, and, and there's times to, you know, step back and say, Hey, like you're doing, you know, doing a really good job of what you're doing here and giving them that little bit of confidence. But you know, sometimes saying nothing goes a long way and it's a, and it's a teacher too. You know, I think the day and age with social media now, you know, it's, it's kind of like everywhere you turn, everything you see on social media is like, Oh, he's gotta be right because he's on the explore page and you're seeing it. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's a tough, (laughs) it's a tough situation to be in, you know? And, um, and I might get, you know, scrutiny for saying this, but like, you got to be careful with that stuff, you know, because anybody can just go on and create something and and start, you know, copying whatever they see. And then they put their little twist to it. And, you know, it's 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 tough because how do kids maneuver through that? You know, um, I think the biggest thing is is the fundamentally sound ideas and understanding that, you know, no cookie cutter ish stuff is going to be the that's that's not the way like I can just kind of stamp that down right now. like stay away from that if if anybody's or whoever does listen to this no the cookie cutter is the worst my personal opinion like there's you have there's so much that goes on from the release of the pitch to where to what you have to do in order to find success that if you you teach just one way it's you're gonna have like sure are you gonna find some success with some people yeah absolutely you will but by and large, you're like you're not, and I and I think that, you know, we like I had a guy, <clears throat> 2020, so the fall of 2019, recruited him. He came in. He's six four, and he came in. And I'm not making this up. You two, he was hitting like he was five seven maybe, and I was like, Yo, what, what are we doing here? And he was like, well, I, I got a new hitting guy, and I'm trying to create more leverage, and I was like bro, you're 6'4". Like, you don't need to create any more leverage than you, like, you naturally have leverage. Like, you don't need to create more. So, he kind of, he he was a freshman, so he fought me on a little bit, and I just, I honestly, I didn't say anything. Because it was like, it it, it was one of those things where, you know, to your guys' point of like, and and luckily, I learned this early on in my coaching career of not really saying anything, and 
you know, a, a couple of the older guys had come up to me and were like, what, like, why aren't you trying to change him? And I was like, well, because if I try to, and he doesn't find success right away, he's never going to listen to me. If I let him fail, like, then we're going to get to a point where it's like, I need to do something differently. And he went the entire fall and didn't have a hit, like at all, not one hit. And he came in in his exit meeting. And he was like, I have to revamp my swing. And I was like, okay. But like, it, it's kind of that coaching trick a little bit of like, you lead that, like they made the decision when, you know, it wasn't necessarily, you know, that, and like, you know, fast forward last, he was a, he was an all American last year at RPI, you know, like he had a phenomenal, like he's had a really good career. He can really, really hit. Um, he's a really, really good baseball player, but I, you know, I don't, I'm not saying I, you know, I'm the reason, but like, I, I don't think he gets to that point if he's still hitting crouched over looking like he's five foot three with his hands, like in front of his chin and just trying to lift everything. You know, it's, I think that there's, you know, those types of things. And to your point, like we've talked about this, we did a whole podcast on, you know, social media stuff of like, it's, you can go down a rabbit hole and, and, you know, there's, I don't, I, I stopped short of saying disinformation. I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. And if you don't know how to wade through that, like if, if you're not well-versed in hitting and, and, you know, pitching, like, you know, I think it's a little bit more advanced, but if you're not well-versed in hitting, like you can end up with some pretty bad habits from a hitting standpoint, just following, we all know them. Like you follow a handful of those, you know, quote unquote gurus out there, like you might find yourself in a not recruitable spot because yeah. you're just, you're blindly going through this, not necessarily, you know, thinking that it's going to help. And it's not like, it's just not, I, I don't really know another way to put that. But it's just not. Seriously. I, I think, you know, I, and I, you know, I see it all, you know, cause it's the only thing that pops up on my social media with my account, but it's like, the best hitters understand how to pick and choose the stuff that they add to their arsenal or things that work for them, you know? And like a lot of these guys say valid things, you know what I mean? Like they say things that make sense that are, that, you know, could work for me looking at it. Like if I'm the hitter, I'm, I'm depicting these videos and, and trying to find things that are applicable to my swing to how I move or how I do these things. Right. Which is the whole reason why the cookie cutter thing isn't really, you know, to me, it's just not it because you've obviously always moved a certain way your whole life, but being able to, you know, be a student of the game, like I touched on before, like the way to become, you know, an incredible hitter or, or a great hitter is to understand how the things that work for you and being able to pick and choose, you know, things that you can add to your arsenal that you know, that are going to put you in a position to be successful. You know, and I think that, you know, tying yourself down into one method of hitting kind of deteriorates that like you, you, you kind of ruin everything that, you know, the athletic person that you are, you know, you can't, you know, do that, I guess is the best way for me to put it. But um, yeah, it's tough to see where, you know, that portion is going. And I think that's why you see that, you know, hitting is so far behind where pitching is at right now, because you know, these guys are abusing all of these guys that are trying to do things that, you know, create the launch angle, hit the ball in the air, do these things. You know what I mean? Guys throw hundred miles an hour now, you know, like I've sat in a box and faced a hundred mile an hours. A lot of times you do not have time to do any of the stuff that you see out there. 
you know, it's, it's, it's back to, you know, how, how simple can I be? You know what I mean? Like that's where baseball needs to be. How simple and how consistent can we be with moves and put ourselves in a position to be successful against guys that do those things, you know? And I think we're at, you know, a space and hitting where we're so far off still. And I think, you know, hopefully that trend starts to come back here soon because otherwise we're just going to keep seeing, you know, MLB average at 220 or 230 or whatever it is. Yeah, it's not good. But I, to your point, though, with the launch angle stuff, and I, I think that there's, from a dumbed-down standpoint, like the launch angle swing is not necessarily a swing. Like every swing has a certain launch angle to it. But like I think from from when we talk about this stuff, it's like the straight up just trying to lift everything in the air and get it airborne for the most part. Like the the other part to me that I think gets lost when you can go down these rabbit holes and, and do some of this stuff too is like when you see major leaguers doing it, like those dudes are physical cats who if they get the ball in the air, it can go pretty far. Like if I'm a 17-year-old JP Sportman who weighs 150 pounds being recruited, like I can only hit the ball so far in the air. You know what I mean? Like, and I think that that, like that part of it too can get a lost on some people of like, well, I'm just trying to get it in the air. Like, yeah, but if you're not strong enough to actually hit it with any authority, like they're just flyouts. And now you're, you know, now you're hitting, you know, 130 with a bunch of flyouts instead of, you know, maybe we're a gap to gap and on a line hitter and all of a sudden we're hitting 340. Like, there's a big difference in that, especially for, you know, from a recruiting standpoint. Like, if I show up and watch you hit and every time you hit, all you do is fly out, like I can go find other guys that can play defense in a similar standpoint that are far better, far more successful from a, an offensive standpoint. And I'm just like, I'm going to go recruit that guy because it's like, well, that swing I don't think plays for me. And two, like I'm going to have to put 40 pounds of muscle on him if he doesn't want to change his swing in order for that to even be. So like now I'm like, eh, I got to wait another three years so that swing is even playable at the college level you know i think that that like those types of things and i you could tell me i'm way off base but like i think like personally when i was recruiting like i that was something that i shied away from because it's like that's not that's not that like that doesn't play in our yard either like it's three it's 385 in this left center gap and 405 to center with a 40 foot fence like like you got to get it to get it out of there yeah. So like it, it it didn't necessarily play into our offense either. So that's something that I would shy away from from a recruiting standpoint. But I just think that there's there's more flaws in that you know from a from an overall physicality standpoint and from an approach standpoint that it, it's it, it, it to me it was not viable. Yeah, I agree, and I, I can attest to you know ninety five percent of the you know major league guys that I have in my cage they're they're never in the cage trying to hit homers. They're never trying to create, you know, a swing that's going to, you know, when they're in the cage, they're executing, you know, I, you know, Bregman said this to me the other day, you know, hitting the ball on a line at the shortstop's head is a recipe for homers. And, you know, that registered for me, like this guy's, you know, five foot, you know, nine, and he's built like a brick shit house. And all he does is try to hit, piss missiles at the second baseman and the guy hits 25 homers a year, you know, and it's, it's little things like that, understanding how to control the barrel, how to put your body in certain positions to create leverage, right. How to, how to be able to be strong enough with your core in order to maintain positions as you move forward. Right. Those are the things that, 
you know, translate into homers. And I think, you know, good hitters, like you were saying that you recruited that, you know, hit 340 in high school and drove gap to gap. The homers come to those guys when they do it that way. Like the homers are a byproduct of being a good hitter and understanding how to use the barrel, right? When we start to create, you know, levers, you know, on the rear leg and and turning and burning and swinging straight up in the air, right? Anything above 90 miles an hour at the top of the zone is going to expose you, you know, and I think you see that a lot nowadays. Um, so touching on that, like any high school hitters that are listening, you know, the objective is to be a really good hitter, understand how to, you know, hit the ball hard to all parts of the field, um, which is another lost art. I feel like, you know, hitting the ball to right field on a line, doing things like that, you know, that were emphasized a lot, you know, I guess years ago, but not saying that it isn't now, but it's definitely not you know, harped on enough, but, you know, understanding that, you know, doing the wrong things and and buying into the wrong things can re- be really detrimental to you. Um, so, yeah. We used to always talk about being a good offensive player. And I think it goes back to some of the things that you hit on when you were talking about what made you good was you dialed into the base running, being able to take the extra base and being able to function in the batter's box beyond just having a good swing, I think is something that's really important and gets lost sometimes that when you get to college, you're a part of an offensive unit. And yeah, there's nine individuals that hit in that lineup. And yeah, if you've got nine really good hitters, your offense is going to be pretty good. But if you don't have guys that are willing to grind on it at bat, if you don't have guys that are willing to hit a ball to the right side of the field with two strikes because there's a guy on second base and they're able to do some of the really nuanced offensive stuff. When you get to college, that stuff keeps you in the lineup. Yeah, if you hit 340 with some bullets, you're going to be in the lineup every day. But the guy who hits 270 and can really function in an offense has so much value. And I think for young kids, if you can pick up those skills now, and if you can start to understand the bigger picture from an offensive point of view, And then you start to get stronger and you continue to work on your craft. Now you start to build a foundation that allows you to not just be a swinger or a hitter, but now you've become a really good offensive player. And I think there's a difference. Like one of the things that I may be misphrasing this, but people talk about RBIs being a a stat of opportunity, but I don't think there's a coincidence that you see guys at the top of the league in RBIs every year because guys like Miguel Cabrera is willing to flip a ball over the first baseman's head with two strikes with a guy on second base because he knows that that's going to score me a run. And I think that gets lost when you watch that dude push balls down the right field line 380 feet. But you miss out on that guy taking a breaking ball three inches off the plate into the four hole because that's what gets the job done. Like, I don't know. I was a Manny Ramirez guy when I was a kid. I'm a Red Sox fan. So that dude hit bolts and smashed baseballs all the time. But he was also incredible at being able to do the important thing in the moment from an offensive perspective. And I've always wondered what's that, what's that like to teach in your environment now where you're really focused on honing a kid's swing to get them into a functional place where I never, I never taught offense from that perspective. It was a lot of this stuff that we focused on 
in college was less about the mechanics and more about pitch recognition, about understanding patterns and height awareness and what do we need to accomplish in certain counts in certain situations? Like, do you mix that into what you do? Do you try to find time to talk about that with kids? Do you wait till certain stages? Like how, how do you handle that conversation? Oh, hundred percent. Like I think a lot of when you first start up, um, you know, it's very basic fundamental, you know, mechanical adjustments that, you know, if I see anything you need to be made, but you know, as most guys that I have now have been now with me for two years or so. So you pretty, especially the college guys, guys that I had early on high school that are all in college now, I think, you know, the mechanics kind of, they don't go out the door, but they're pretty solidified when, you know, I tapped back into like routines and having a plan. When we get to the point where like all my guys understand what that means and they know exactly what they do each and every day, that's when we start to kind of dial into the approach, you know, understanding, you know, the pitches you handle well, right. Tunneling, doing different things, height awareness, all that stuff that you tapped in on. I think, you know, those are all things that I do tie into that having conversations about, you know, what do you think about here? Like, you know, we'll do situation days where, you know, we're doing, you know, runners in scoring position, whatever the situation may be. And I want to see how these guys execute what they're trying to do. Um, and touching back on like what you were saying, you know, with Miggy and, and Manny, it's a lot of it is because these guys don't get to see those swings. You know, you only see the homers and the doubles and the the balls that you hammer, right? You don't see how these guys, there's a, there's a strategic way to drive in a hundred plus runs, hit 30 plus homers. You know, these guys, these guys can do all of the fundamental things in their sleep, right? They can work on the things that, create you know homers and do different things because they're so good at doing the things that you need to be good at um you know i think i had a i tell this to my guys all the time you know it's a little bit harder with the high school and college guys because it's you know i think not as many games obviously as you would play in pro ball but you know understanding and, and visualizing your season as a puzzle you know like how do we minimize peaks and valleys is what i talk to my guys a lot about is how do we how do we create, you know, ways when we're not feeling good to, you know, check things off the list, right? Like, can I draw a walk today? Can I create a one for three? Can I turn my 0 for fives into, you know, 0 for threes with two walks or one for three with a walk, you know, driving in a run in a situation where I'm not feeling good right now. I can't get blown up and hit a ground ball of the pitcher. I need to hit a ball in the four hole and get this run in or get this runner over, you know, and I think, a lot of success that I've had with college guys going to the next level or high school guys going to the next level is these guys understand how to do that. You know, they understand, you know, when I'm in a situation where I'm not feeling good or my swing's not where it needs to be, right. I'm executing when I need to, right. I, I understand how to play the game and, you know, take it to that next level there. Um, so a lot of that, I think that's probably one of the things that is most talked about in the cage when it comes to like the amateur players is kind of having an awareness of how the game works and understanding the mental side of hitting. Um, and I, I kind of got off of the track of like the puzzle. You know, you look at a major league, minor league season, 140, 160 games. You know, I have this because like with the pro guys, it's like you talk about mechanics, but most of them are pretty solid and sound in what they're trying to do you know, and understanding like the peaks and valleys and, and looking at the season as a puzzle, right? How do we, you know, how do we add 
you know, an RBI here, a run here, a stolen base here, a walk here when we're feeling like crap. Because, like, if you look at the season through, you know, weeks, you know, if we can stack, you know, quality at-bats after quality at-bats, but we're not getting the results, but we're still executing in situations that we can, at the end of the year, those numbers are going to be there, right? You might have a, a week where you go, like, two for, you know, 20, but if you mixed in, you know, five or six walks, you drove in a couple runs, right? The average is going to be there at the end you, if you're a good hitter. You know what I mean? Like you will get yourself out of that. But being able to, you know, stack the, you know, the RBI column, the stolen base column, the runs column, the walks column, right? How do we minimize, you know, letting that snowball effect happen and, you know, you know, chasing pitches out of the zone, right? A lot of the times, like I had a big I had a trouble with this, you know, and it haunts me to this day as I was so good at getting the barrel of the ball that I would swing at pitchers pitches that were, you know, just off and I would get myself out. Right. And I think that's where like the levels, as you go up, pitchers start to get smarter and they start to do those things to you and having the awareness of understanding, like my job is to swing at good pitches to put myself in a situation to have success. I think those are all things that, you know, we have conversations about quite a bit in the cage. Who's it? Barry Bonds, I think, put it pretty simply. Like if you if you're swinging at good pit, unless you're swinging at good pitches, and you're on time, if you're not getting, if you're doing those two things and you're not getting results, then we talk mechanics. But until you're doing those two things really well, the mechanics don't really come into play that much. Mm -hmm. And I mean, yeah, they matter. Like you want to have an efficient swing, but how to manage in a bat and understanding what you do well. It's a, it's such a big part of it, and I think, you know, some kids kind of got a natural feel for that, and they're really good getting the barrel where they want it to go. But it's a learned behavior, and really being able to bear down on what do I do well, what does this pitcher do well, what's he going to try to do to me, and how do I find that sweet spot of not giving in to leveraging my strengths and not giving in to his strengths, but also not having a big enough ego to sit on a fastball when that dude's going to throw you 70% sliders. Uh, so that's where it got fun for me coaching some really high level guys is that's what the conversation became. It wasn't, you know, is my, am I, am I getting my foot down on time or, you know, my elbow, like it, it I'm tucking it in, like should be higher, like whatever random pork a kid had, you just sat there and you talked about, Hey, Here's the breakdown of this guy. And this is what we're seeing right now. This is what you can expect in these kind of situations. Then watching that kid go take it into the batter's box and go smash a double or put together a really competitive at bat. Like that's what, what ended up being really fun for me on the offensive side is being able to get to that level of detail with a kid. Yeah. You know, I tapping off of that, I, you know, I was at a showcase tournament here in Arizona and it was two weekends ago. And it was a pretty highly touted tournament. I saw one of the, one of my hitters was playing against um, a kid going to UW. And I mean, this kid had four pitches. He was executing. He was 88 to 91. He had, you know, three breaking pitches that he was executing really well. And I'm watching. I like I like to go to games every once in a while and watch some of my guys and, and how they, how they, how they go about their at-bats and what they're doing. And, you know, I, I look in the dugout and not one of the kids is, is watching what this kid's doing to every hitter. You know, and I think what, what the young guys need to hear is that, you know, all of the best hitters in the world, all the guys that are having success are students of the game. Like we've tapped on, you know, like 
during the game, they are watching everything that's going on. I did it. I, I was always watching to find an edge that I could get on the pitcher to, you know, get a knock or, you know, have an idea of what he's trying to do to me, especially when you're not feeling good and you're, and your swing's not exactly where where you think it is or where you want it to be. You need to find a way to give yourself an opportunity. And, you know, I watched this kid, you know, go through two times in the lineup. He, he you know, caked the curveball right over the middle of the plate and he just got ahead of every hitter and he was just burying everybody after that because he was getting ahead and these guys didn't know what to do. And I, I finally went up, you know, in the third or fourth inning and I was like, I said to my guy, I was like, hey, like, what is he doing right now? What has he done to you the last two at-bats, you know? And he's like, ah, oh. like, I was like, what is he doing to everybody else in the lineup? And he, they're just not paying attention. I'm like, Hey, this is, these are learning curves and, and parts of development that you need to understand that. Like when you're in the dugout, you need to be watching the game. You need to be understanding, like, this is going to be, that's probably the best pitcher he's ever seen. And I'm like, he just, you know, executed on you and, and sat you down three times because you weren't ready, you know, and this guy is pretty much showing you what he's trying to do every at bat and you didn't catch on to it, you know? And you know, I think I think the fourth at bat he went up there and he he hung him a breaking ball and he hit a double in the gap. And I'm like, you know, it's little things like that that can turn your day around. You know, like understanding that this guy's showing you exactly what he's doing. So you know, make sure you're paying attention and understand. You know, it's it's the little things that you know make a good hitter. You can have the greatest swing in the world, but if you have no confidence in what you're doing or any you know idea of what you're trying to do, it's it's you know the hardest thing to do in sports. You know. The guys yeah. that I watched do really well. They didn't. They didn't let guys get them out the same way multiple times in a row, and I think that that kind of ties into exactly what you're saying is that the young hitters who have big strides to make, they're usually the ones that, when you look at a scout and report, you're just like, just throw this kid breaking balls. Like he's gonna swing at them. Like don't challenge him with anything. That kid, if he makes the jump, is able to take that breaking ball, and now he gets himself in a fastball count, and he can do what he does well. And the guys who seem to have a lot of success or develop quicker, the guys that William and Mary ended up playing pro ball or ended up going from lightly recruited freshmen to junior draft picks, they were the kids as they matured at hitters. It became harder to get them out the same way twice in a game, and they became super hard to pitch to. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you're a young kid listening to that, exactly what you're talking about is if you pay attention to what a guy's trying to do, most pitchers are going to fall back on what they do well. Well, if you know what he does well and you can match that up, you give yourself a pretty darn good chance, especially when you get guys starting to throw a lot harder. Like it becomes really tough to just sit on a fastball if a guy's got a really good breaking ball or if a guy's got a really good breaking ball or throws with good velocity, you can't just sit on spin. Like, you kind of have to make some decisions and sometimes you got to make some educated guesses. I always thought that that was something that the the more mature guys did really well. I agree. I think the one thing, the the other thing too, that I want to touch on for a couple minutes, if you'll indulge me, <clears throat> is the three of us continually talk about like doing the little things right and being a student of the game. Like that's something that you can do at literally every single level. And I think that it's, uh, you know, it gives you one more knowledge in baseball IQ. Like, you know, you had touched on it earlier and I, I, I was a pretty good base runner if I pat my own back. Um, but a lot of it came from watching 
Like, you know, I would always try to go first to third. I would try to go second to home, like score on a double from first. Like that, like you're in scoring position with two outs and a runner, you're on first in college. Like it's what it is. Um, you know, but I, I think the, the, the more you watch and the more you learn, and it's just like, you know, you had touched on earlier and, you know, Andy and I did this when we played, like you watch some of the older guys that have had success, like, what do they do? You know, but when you start to watch the game and, and I, I, we've talked about, like, we talked about this with Matt Hobbs at, at Arkansas about how, you know, if you're, you know, being really good at defense could be an opportunity for you to get into the lineup early on in your career. Like, because if you can flat out defend, like you're likely going to be a spot guy late in the game and if maybe you get a hit and all of a sudden it, it spurs you. you know, but I think that the more you kind of understand situational hitting, the more you understand, you know, okay, like, yeah, I could, I might go 0 for 4 today and hit out of the nine hole, but I drove in two runs and moved two runners that ended up scoring later in the game and we scored four runs off of my at-bats. Like that's just as valuable and can get you in the lineup as somebody who's going to go four for four with four bolts, because you're like, again, like you're working within an offense in college and, and you're trying to score runs. Like I was not, I was as average as average could be as a hitter in college. I could defend and I could bunt, I could hit and run. I could move runners. I could like, that's why I played a lot in my career. It wasn't because I was going to hit in the four hole and, and hit 340 like I wasn't as good as you I wasn't as good as as guys who, who could do that like didn't mean I worked any less but like I understood the game you know and I hit in the nine hole so it was like all right like I gotta bunt this guy over I have to move guys like all right they're throwing me dead fastballs away with a runner on second base like I'm just gonna try to shoot a ball, ball through the four hole here and see what we can do and, and I think when you know when you understand the game and you, and you really try to dive down in and become a student of the game and unders like there's so many things that go into this game that i think you know I, it's almost like a cop-out answer sometimes when i was coaching like guys will ask you especially defensively like hey what do we do with the ball if there's a runner on first and it goes into the corner and we're in double cut situation and this guy's trailing like where do i go and a lot like i'd be like well it's situationally driven like what's the score are we up by five are we, is it a tie game? Like, I mean, if we're up by five, like just get it back to the middle of the field and let's reset and get an out. If we're tied, like I want you float, like I want you floating to the middle of the field here because I want the ball in my shortstop's hand to be able to dictate if we're going to get in a rundown between home and third and redirect the ball somewhere. And, and I think like the more you start to be able to think and, and understand where like defensively and also offensively, like where you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do, the more opportunities can eventually come your way because you actually know what it is that you're doing and coaches will have more trust in you in the box and in the field. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Thank you for indulging me. The question that we, well, first, any other, any other hot hitting topics that you, you want to expand upon? Anything you feel passionate about from from an offensive perspective? Passionate about everything. I'm like extremely passionate about. I think we tapped on. Yeah. Um, so to close to close out, and I think you're a perfect person to give some of this advice. Right? Is a lot of people who listen to this are trying to get more understanding about recruiting in the development piece. And obviously you've been on both sides of that 
and are you know currently a key cog in the development of a lot of young players and and helping guys who are at the absolute top of the field. But what's some of the advice you would give student athletes going through this, not just from a recruiting perspective, but from a development perspective, if you're going to impart some wisdom on them today? Um, I think the biggest thing is, you know, buy-in. Um, you know, if you're from a from a recruiting standpoint, like all of that stuff is, you know, things that are somewhat out of your control. I think, you know, the development piece and what you're doing, you know, to put yourself in a position to get recruited, you know, that's in your control. I think, um, you know, putting in the work, understanding that, you know, this is, you know, 24-7, um, you know, every day you need to be doing something to put yourself in a position to get better. Um, you know, stacking days like we were talking about, understanding, you know, you know, the actions that you take each and every day are going to put you in a position to be successful down the road. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's what I got. Where can people find you? Because if you're a high school kid and you're trying to understand and learn a little bit about hitting, like you're somebody that people need to be following. Cause I think, uh, you know, obviously we brought you on here because I know Keith thinks incredibly highly of you and I'm fired up that we got a chance to meet, but tell these people where they can find you so they can start to learn a little bit about what you do and and hopefully take some of what you teach and, and implement it into their routines. Yeah, you guys can, you know, get on Instagram, jp3.baseball is my Instagram uh, tag. You guys can, you know, follow, DM, ask me questions at any time, send me video. Um you know, get going with me on some remote stuff. Um, but yeah, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, that's pretty much, I mean, I have a Twitter also JP three dot baseball. Um, but yeah, Instagram is probably the best one. There it is folks. Follow this man, learn something, get involved in that remote program. If you want to get better as an offensive player. So really appreciate your time in, uh, Great conversation, and uh, I know you're busy out on the West Coast and have been running around, so uh, thanks for taking a, an hour and a half with us, and appreciate it. I yeah, appreciate you guys for having me on here. It was fun. We'll have to do it again. Absolutely. Thanks, JP. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening this week. If you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and smash that like button for us. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at EMD Baseball. If you want to find out what me and Keith do to help families and players navigate the recruiting process, go ahead and check us out on emdbaseball.com. Take a few minutes to check out our new online academy. I promise you'll get some good information out of that. Thanks again for listening. Check in with you next week.